If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. saving church thank you guys for joining this morning in our beautiful home here in McKinney I'm so thankful everyone could be here with me to join me in the word of the Lord today I uh, want to thank everybody that's listening on SoundCloud or across the world or wherever I thank you for joining in today if you've joined into the website or you can gospelsavingchurch.com it's a nice new site it's got a lot of little things going on on it we got things on there. My sermons are on there about us, things like that. So you can always join us there if you'd like. Check us out. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Yes, amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. So we're going to pray real quick, open up the service, and then we'll get into our title and we'll get into our reading. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, Lord, thank you so much for joining, for, for you being here today, Lord God. You know what, Lord? You are our guest of honor. Lord, we welcome you here in this place, Lord God, for your word says wherever two or three are gathered in your name, Jesus Christ, that you will be here. And so, Lord, we welcome you here this day because I know that there's lots of people here that are gathering here in your name, Lord God. And I just thank you for joining us, Lord. I welcome your Holy Spirit today to touch us, Lord, and to move on our hearts, Lord. I Thank you for all your wonderful gifts and your wonderful promises that you give to people. If we just turn to you and receive them, Lord. If we just turn to you and trust in you, put our hope and trust in you. And I pray, Lord God, that 
as the intro just said, Lord God, if we really need you, Lord, and I, I just pray that we would respond. Or that we would respond to your love, Lord. We would respond to your grace, Lord. And we would, wouldn't just be hearers of the word, Lord God. We'd be doers of the word. So I pray you bless this message, Lord, and bless this service, Lord, and bless all of us that are listening here in my home, and also bless all those that are li listening online, Lord God. For a special blessing for them today, Lord God. I pray just they would just grow closer with you today, Lord God, even as they're listening to this message. We love you and we praise you. And we just ask all these things in the mighty and precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9? That's where we'll be today, Matthew chapter 9. Just continuing to go in order. We go, we go verse by verse here throughout the scriptures. We don't skip around. We go verse by verse. We teach section by section, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because the whole Bible to me... And in this church, we reverence the Word of God. The whole entire scripture is important to me. So that's what we do. I don't leave any verse out. I can't leave any verse out. God makes me honest. i got to teach every verse. And i got to elaborate on every verse. So blessed be the name of the Lord. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 31. Let's go ahead and read them. And let's kick off our message today with the Word of God. 9.27 when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all the country. The title of our message today is simply, The Two Blind Men. Because it's all, this whole section focuses on these two blind men that come to Jesus. And they have faith. So, First part of 37, let's begin. 27, excuse me. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him. Jesus was always on the move. He was going here and there and everywhere. He was always being pulled this way and that. He was always moving. He was always going here the last three and a half years of his life or his ministry. And he was hardly ever, he would spend all nights in prayer on the mountain. Other than that, he was always moving. He was always going here, always being asked to come here, always being pulled there. He just got done with some awesome, amazing miracles in our last section with the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' son. And people were finding out about his ministry all over the place, even verse less, the last verse we read of last week. And the report of this went out into all the land. So, Everybody was starting to know about him. More and more and more and more and more. The more he went, the more he did, the more people were emulating, the more people were being drawn to him. His ministry was big. Mark tells us in that same section of Scripture with Jairus that there were multitudes of people around him as he journeyed there, as the woman with the issue of blood came to him. And as he went to go heal Jairus' 
child. There were multitudes of people around him when he did that. Remember Matthew 4, 23 and 24, 23 to 25, and the Bible says, And when Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people, then his fame went throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed them from Galilee, from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So as he was healing all these people and preaching the kingdom of God, what was the result of that? Well, we just read it. Just like the two blind men found out, a lot of sick a lot of people that needed healing, a lot of needy people, just like the two blind men in our scripture today, a lot of those people started to come. Wow. And wouldn't you? And wouldn't you? Think about it. I know I would. I would be saying to myself, wow, there's a mighty healer man. There's a mighty healer man, and he's walking around, and, and if I go, I can I can get healed. Uh, there's healing there for me. I, I've got... I'm blind, or, or I'm deaf, or I can't walk, or my arm's all withered up, or I've I, I got this flow of blood, or whatever it was. They knew that if they came to Jesus, they were healing, that he, they were hearing that he was healing everybody. I would have gone. I would have gone. I'm not ashamed. I would have heard. I would have gone. But, like I said, the result of this... What he was doing was what, what he really what he was doing really was God was giving him a huge ministry, a huge ministry, a huge following, absolutely tremendous. Thousands of people were always around him. Well, that has good points and that has bad points. Some of the good points: Jesus was able to show people how much he really loved them by showing them compassion and forgiveness of their sins. Remember the paralyzed man, Matthew 9, 2, and the leper, 8, 3. He said, your sins are forgiven you to the man that couldn't walk. And to the leprous man, remember, it says he came for a healing and Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him. And this leper hadn't got a touch. He wasn't used to touch. People wouldn't touch a leper. But Jesus in his compassion and his love, he knows what we need, he knows what we want, but he knows what we really need really need and he always gives us what we really really need that's an awesome thing he, he was able to show that love and that compassion to multitudes of people all the time that's a good thing another good thing is that people were able to see who he was remember the centurion from matthew 8 5 now when jesus had entered a capernaum a centurion came to him pleading with him he, he, he was pleading with him he fell down and he worshiped him he came and he was worshiping Jesus. We got to see Jesus' true identity. Remember even last week with the Jairus came and worshipped him and wanted him to come and heal his child. So we got to see who Jesus was. We got to see his real identity because you don't worship a prophet. You don't worship just a man of God. You don't worship a pastor. You don't worship angels, as we even looked at last week in the book of Revelations. We don't worship angels. We don't worship each other. We only worship God, and Jesus received Jairus' worship. We got to see, through all this huge ministry, Jesus being worshipped. We got to see his true identity. And the third, and the, and the greatest thing, well, one of the, I guess there's all three of these are great, but there was always an open door for him to teach people how to come to God. 
which was Jesus' main ministry. He wanted to teach people about the kingdom of God. Healing all these people, we got Matthew 4, right before the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 4, he was healing all these peoples, and multitudes were coming around him, and he was healing a bunch of people. And the result, you know, the result was that people were getting healed. Matthew 5, 1, Jesus, seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And what was the result? Well, only a whole two chapters out of all of Matthew that just entailed how to get to God. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. All three chapters were the result of Jesus' huge ministry of healing, of preaching, of going around, loving people, built him, multitudes around him, able for him to teach the word of God too. That's an awesome ministry. But as there are good points, there are bad points. Unfortunately, his miracles led to some major difficulties in his ministry. We have Mark 1, Jesus healing a paralyzed man and telling him strictly not to tell anyone. But the guy didn't listen. The result, verse 45 of Mark 1. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. His ministries were so big... As he would try to travel, the towns just couldn't hold him. There were too many people, they couldn't hold him. So he had to stay in like the wilderness, in the country areas, as he continued to go through his ministries, as thousands of people followed him. That's a down. And John 6.26, Jesus had just fed a few thousands of people. And he gets up and he goes up to the mountain to pray. And as he comes down, he goes with his disciples and they're crossing over. And the people kind of wake up and they're like, hey, where is Jesus? Where's Jesus? And they see that he had gone across. They saw the boats weren't there anymore. So what they do, they went across, and they actually beat him and the disciples to the other side. So here in John 6.26, we read that they're kind of talking, Hey, Jesus, where'd you go? And he says to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. And then he exhorts them to seek the bread of life that God gives, not the worthless food that you can fill your belly with now, but next, you know, tomorrow you're going to be hungry again. So another downside of the ministry was people were just, they wanted something from them. They always just wanted something from them. And that's not the way, that's not why Jesus wants, them, wants us to come to him. It's just to get something from them, except unless it's salvation. We shouldn't be going to Jesus just because he's, got a cattle on a thousand hills and he can give us all the money we want. We shouldn't go to him only because he can heal. We should be coming to him because, wow, look at his love. Look at his grace upon sinners. Now that stuff is all there, his provision, his healing. But that's not why God wants us to come to him. Why God wants us to come to him is because of his love and because of what he did for us. But Jesus did, and he walked, and he lived, and he moved, and he breathed for the last three and a half years of his life, and his ministry was amazing. It was hard, but it was amazing. People were making requests on him often. They were pulling him left and right, and up and down, and here and there. But he did it anyway. And why did he do it? Because of the love and the compassion of God. All throughout Matthew's gospel, and really all throughout all four gospels, we read about the compassion of the Lord. 
As he stepped off the boat with his disciples, he saw multitudes of people, the Bible says, and he had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion for them. And what, what was that? What is compassion? Compassion is love. So he allowed these things to happen to him for a reason. He allowed them to happen because he loved mankind with a precious and precious and deep, deep love. Our account today, two blind men that were following him, crying out, asking for mercy. This account today brings us back to one of those good points that we talked about, about huge ministries. What was one of those good points was we got to see people's reaction to who Jesus was, and in their reactions to him, we got to see he wasn't just a guy that was kind of just a guy. He was a supernatural God-man. How do we know that by these guys here today? Read the rest of verse 27 with me. Two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Oh, wait a minute. You know, you may be thinking, what, what in the world? David David died two, 3,000 years before Jesus ever lived, or 800 years, or not, excuse me, excuse me, eight or 900 years before Jesus ever lived. How could it be? What is he, the son of David? What is this son of David? Well, this son of David, for this, we go back to a prophecy in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. Son of David. What could they have meant by son of David? 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. God's promising David here. When your days are fulfilled and the rest, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now we know that the first promise was for David to have a son that was going to be of his body, and that we know that was Solomon. And we know Solomon built the temple, the great temple, the great temple of Solomon. But his kingdom, Solomon's kingdom, from David's body, would be his kingdom forever. Verse 14, And I will be his father, and he will shall be my son. Talking about Solomon, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. But here we go, verse 16. Here we see son of David. And your house, <clears throat> excuse me, and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, and your throne shall be established forever. What is he saying? He's saying that there would be a descendant of King David that would sit on the throne of God forever. What? Well, ask yourself, what man lives forever? Well, if you even answered one, you're wrong, because nobody lives forever. But there is one person that lives forever, and that's the Christ. That's God. He lives forever. This was God's promise to David that someone from his family line would be the Messiah, the Christ, because the Christ lives forever. So the question is, is was Jesus really the son of David? Was Jesus really the Christ? Matthew, as it so happens, starts out his whole entire gospel as in the first chapter. Verses 6 through 16, where Matthew gives the lineage from David all the way to Jesus. 
and then before that too. But we're going to focus on David's lineage, and the one from David means that we're trying to see if Jesus is really the son of David, if, he, if he's really the Messiah. We read in verse 6 of Matthew 1, And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Begot, Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. And Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. And Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon. And Ammon begot Josiah. And Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shatil, and Shatil begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel got Abiad. Abiad begot Eliakim, Eliakim begot Azur. Azur begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliad. Eliad begot Eliezer, and Eliezer begot Matan, and Matan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So Jesus is a son of David generations back. Jesus, who was born to Mary, and people so assumed that he was David's, or excuse me, Joseph's son, but although we know the scripture that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but still it was assumed that his father was Joseph, and he came through that line to become the Christ. So people knew him as the son of David. Son of David, have mercy on us. Here these two blind men were calling out to Jesus, the Christ, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh. Now we already covered that last week, Jesus being the Christ, being God in the flesh in depth. But here, yet here again, I said last week, that last week we said... All throughout the Gospels, we see Christ and God, or Jesus being the Christ, Jesus being the Messiah. And here yet again, we have another point where we see they're reverencing him by the titles and by the Messianic titles, by the Christ-given titles, Son of David. So yet I, just like I said last week, Jesus all throughout the New Testament was deemed and given the titles of God and the Son of God. For anyone to say that the Bible doesn't say that Jesus Christ is God or Jesus Christ is the Christ or Jesus Christ is the Messiah is absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely. Moving on. Verse 28. Let's read it again. So they entered a house and the blind men came to him. Now, here's a couple. God showed me a couple things on this verse 28 here. Real, real interesting things. Something that I needed a reminder of, and anybody that ministers for the Lord, they have a reminder of. Why didn't Jesus, it says that he, verse 28, and when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. Why didn't Jesus just turn around and heal them right when they first came to him? Why didn't Jesus just turn right there, touch them, you're healed? Be gone, that's good. Hey, don't tell nobody about me. That's it, that's gone. I mean, after all, he just healed the woman with the issue of blood. All she did was touch the hem of his garment, and she was healed. Jairus, in the recording there, and other, other times, he went into them, into the sun. Other accounts we have, he just speaks a word, and it happens. Why did he wait till he went in the house? 
and then let the blind men come into him, and then he healed him. He didn't matter whether he was in multitudes or not. Jesus did his miracles, whatever and wherever. Well, the point that God showed me here is something we all need to remember, is we cannot put God in a box. God doesn't have to do anything by any certain method ever. He can just do one thing one way today, and he can do the same thing another way tomorrow. He doesn't have to work in this way, or he doesn't have to work in that way. He can work any way he wants to accomplish whatever he wants. He didn't have to do that. We never saw hardly Jesus. In fact, this is the only time that he did a lot of things to these two blind men. And the way he talked to them, for the very first time he ever did it, and he never did it again. He never asked anybody, do you believe I can do this? These two blind men were the only ones. So he, he did, did things a different way. We have to be aware that we don't have to say, when if we go to witness to somebody, or if we're praying, or for this way or, or for that way or if we want we don't have to do things the same way to minister for Jesus. Whatever way we're led, that's the way we should serve God. Whatever way we're led as long as it lines up to the Bible. Jesus didn't do the same things all the time, neither should we if we want to be a follower of his. So, that's something interesting that God showed me in that verse 28. Another awesome thing that God showed me in verse 28 Look it over. I, we need to read it one more time. I'm sorry to be so critical here. Verse 28, And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. I don't know if you caught that. I've never, ever, ever, ever caught this. In 14 years I've been reading the Bible, I've never caught this. Do what? Do what? Jesus says to them, are you, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do what? Let's, they never ask him a question. They never ask him to heal them. Do you see a questionnaire? Verse 27. And Jesus departed from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. What does that mean? Have mercy on us. Verse 28. And when he had come to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Where's the question? Where's the question? Did the blind men never came and said, Jesus, we want to be healed, we're blind. They never asked. There's no question there. Have mercy on us. What does that mean? Hey, I, I cry out to God all the time. God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. I'm not asking for another. I'm just, God, I'm a sinner. Please have mercy on me. They never asked him a question. But yet another two instances where we see Jesus having the God-likeness. Psalm 139.4 For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you knew it all together. And their response, Do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. That word for Lord is my master, my ruler, the one to whom owns me. That was their response to Jesus. Yet another place. All throughout the New Testament, I told you, we see Jesus Christ accepting worship, receiving worship, being given messianic Christian or Christ titles. We see it all over, or we just see it again. He is God, truly, and there's no denying it. So verse 28. Jesus asked them if he if they believe he can heal their sight, and they say, Yes, Lord. 
Now this is very, very, very important. We can't afford to skip this at all. Why did Jesus ask them that question? Why? Why did Jesus say, do you believe I can do this? So let's look at what we have so far recap. They come to him with the messianic title, Son of David. They come to him, Jesus knows what's in their hearts, because they got what they wanted. The scripture concludes with him healing them. Have mercy on us. They knew He knew what was in their heart. So you wouldn't come to somebody if you didn't believe that they could heal you. So they came to him, they called in the Messiah, they called in the Son of David, which is a Messianic title. They believed that he could heal them. They wouldn't come unless they believed it already. Why would Jesus bother with asking them, do you believe that I can do this? Very, very, very important. They believed all the right things about Christ. They believed in his ability to heal them. But Jesus wanted one more thing from them other than their just their standard belief and coming to him and crying out to him. What did he want? He wanted them to confess with their lips that they believed in his power and in his authority. They wanted the confession. Jesus wanted the confession of their lips. Yes, Lord, I believe that you can do this. How big is this confession unto God? Well, Bible says, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then he goes on to say, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. So that, that's, my, that's my core there, my heart. That's my core. That's where I need to, not just a head knowledge of God, but my core, my heart knowledge of God, my, my, my intimacy. I want him, I need him, my heart knowledge of God. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It is important to God that we believe in and put our total trust in Jesus Christ and who he really is and in everything he is capable of doing. But that's not enough for God. God also wants us to confess those things with our lips. There's power in your words, people. There's power unto God in our words. Why? Why? What are some things that we see? Why would it be powerful to confess in Christ, to confess the things that he does? Why would it be powerful to confess those things? Number one, relationship. If you love your spouse, or you love your child, or you love your friends, what do you do? You talk about them. You talk to other people about them. I've been married for 18 years, and I have a wonderful ring around my finger, and every time a situation comes up, I'm telling people that I have a lovely wife, and I've been married for 18 years. I talk about my wife because I love her. Well, no wonder in Matthew 10, 32, and 33, Jesus says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, or you could say 
doesn't confess me before men, him I will also deny, not confess before my Father who is in heaven. Ooh. Ooh. That's not, I don't want God, ooh, I want, I want Jesus to be talking God's ear off about me. I don't know about you. I want Jesus. <laughs> and isn't it true, think in your lives, think in yourselves, don't people that you know talk about what's important to them? At work all the time, all I hear people talking about is the weather or the job, or the business. Nobody ever talks about Jesus, yet they say they love him. But anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But people always talk about things that are important to them. That's huge to God. Confessing Jesus. Confessing what he can do and who he is before man. That's important to God because that's relationship. That's a very core, awesome thing of relationship. Another reason. There's power in that confession for our lives in Christ against the power of that old devil. The power of that old devil. First one that comes to mind, Jesus in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days, Satan come to him, and when as he came, get behind me, Satan. Peter comes up, having Satan in him, influencing him, and says, Jesus, we, we can't talk about your death. We want to make people know you're going to be here forever. You're going to rule. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus just didn't think it. Jesus professed. Get behind me, Satan. He said the words, get behind me, Satan. Shut up, Satan. Shut up, demons, he would tell to those that were demon-possessed that would come to him. And, of course, Revelation 12, 7-11, we read, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon, who's the devil, and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor, were those, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. In verse 11, How powerful is confession, you tell me. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. How did the saints... How do we overcome Satan? Not by a nice, purdy thought. Not by a good old, oh, I'll just have a desire that he goes away and leaves me alone. Absolutely not. You tell that devil, get behind me, Satan. I don't want to hear your words anymore. Shut up and shut your mouth and get out of here. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. We can't forget that. The blood of Jesus Christ has saved sinners from their sin. And the word of their testimony. The word. What is the word of their testimony? The spoken word, folks. Our spoken word is powerful to God. There's power in your spoken word. James 2.20 tells us that faith without works is dead. Confession in Him and in His abilities is one of those works that God wants us to continue in while we fight the good fight of faith here on this earth, whether it be against Satan, or whether it be against our flesh, or whether it be against whatever. God wants us to fight the good fight of faith with our confession 
of what we believe and who we believe that Jesus Christ is. And we see another reason here in our scripture today. Let's read verse 29 and see how powerful their confession is was to Jesus. They said, yes, Lord, we believe. They confess with their mouth the power of God. And he touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, let it be to you. Jesus t touches their eyes and tells them, according to the faith that you just professed, I'm going to give you the healing that I already knew that you wanted, even though you didn't tell me. I still love that point where Jesus just knows their thoughts. I just love that point. That can be both scary for somebody, or that can be so awesome for somebody, because we know that we don't have to necessarily speak words to talk to God. We can just think about them. We can just think of them. The prophet David said one time in a psalm, he said, oh, I just lay in my bed and I mused on God. I just, I just thought about God. I meditated on the Lord Jesus Christ. God knows your thoughts. But here, but here in God's eyes, there was power in their confession, in their confession and their belief in Jesus Christ to heal them as well. And then verse 30, again, we talked about this a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago. It's not enough that Jesus just say the words, let's get you healed. But verse 30, their eyes were opened and their eyes were opened. Here we got to witness the awesome healing power of God that these people professed with their mouths. They, they gave those power-filled words, yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, you can do this. Let it be according to your faith. Bam! And they were healed. There was no difficulty that Jesus ever encountered that he could not handle. Every problem, every situation, every trouble that he came to, he just put it down, stepped on it, did what needed to be done, and moved on. We serve an awesome God, amen? Amen. And God is powerful to do all things. God is possible. God, he's able to do all things. So, closing down into verse 30. Jesus says, See that no one knows it. Jesus sternly warned them, saying, Let no one know it. And why did he say that again? We've already talked about it early in, the ver early in our scripture. That as they went out and they professed more and more and more and more and more, well, what would happen is more and more and more and more and more people would just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And that was just a product of that awesome ministry that Jesus had. Remember the beginning of the sermon. But then they exhibit verse 31. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all the country. Now think about it. I know that they broke what Jesus told them to do. I know that they went against what Jesus told them to do. And yes, but can you fault them? When God does something amazing in my life, in your life, in our lives, what do you want to do? You want to just bottle it up and put a cap on it and put it on your shelf. Not. You want to go around and you want to tell everybody what God did for you. It, you know, it's ironic. I just showed you this just now. We never read that Jesus ever got mad because they broke this. He would tell many people, hey, don't go tell nobody what I did. Just go home. But they never did, hardly ever. And But we never read Jesus going, oh, darn, 
people, they just can't listen. No, because, you know, although he said that hoping that they would obey, he, he has, I know God, and God is t total compassion and total love. And what does he want? He just he just loves the zeal of his children. Oh, my little children, I, I know I told you, but oh, I, how can I stop them about going and telling other people what I did for them? Oh, they just want to tell others about me. And that, that would be how God look at us today. If we do, God does something for us today, and we just want to get up and we want to tell everybody about what God did for us. Yes. And isn't God so good? Yes. Amen. Amen. So, to close, what kind of faith do you have in Jesus Christ? What kind of faith do you have in Jesus Christ today? I want to address any Muslims that are maybe listening somewhere, anywhere out there. And you believe that Jesus is just a prophet. So I challenge you today to look again at the scripture that we just looked at just now, just here. And I know we may not be able to understand this. How can a man be God? How could Jesus be the Christ? How could he be the Son of God? How could he be God? I just, Pastor Ed, I just don't understand. Well, you chew on this. Jesus received worship. Jesus allowed people to call him by messianic titles. Son of David. They called him Lord, my owner, my ruler. Jesus was homeless when they called him this. Jesus didn't have property. He wasn't the Lord over thousands of hills and land and the man in the flesh. He was just a homeless son of a carpenter. Why would you call a homeless son of a carpenter, Lord, you own me, my master, when he's a homeless son of a carpenter, unless there's more to him than we believe. I exhort you, please today, seek God and just ask God, is this true? And ask, the, and ask God how the Bible could allow these things to be said about Jesus if he just was really just a prophet. No prophet that I can ever remember in the history of man has ever been called Lord, has ever been called Son of David, has ever been worshipped. Chew on that, please. Chew on it, please, because just because you may not understand something doesn't make it false. I don't understand a lot of things, but just because you don't understand them doesn't make them true. Hindus or people that believe in the polarity of gods, how can this be right? Jesus received others that called him by messianic titles, Son of David, Lord, and he received worship. We just talked about that. And look, only God can do that. Amen. Now, you may be saying, you know, if you're a Hindu or you believe in all, well, yeah, all gods, all gods can receive worship. Yes, Jesus was a god. Yes, I believe that, Pastor Ed. Jesus was a god. Well, then how do you deal with Jesus himself saying in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. Amen. How do you chew on that? Jesus was either a liar or a lunatic or the one true God. 
And yes, gods can receive worship, but can a god lie? Can a god lie? Jesus said, I am the only way. I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Gods are holy. Gods that are holy don't lie. But Jesus said it. What do you do with that? Chew on that. Chew on that. How could it be that Jesus claimed to be the only way? And to be one of the gods, if he said I'm the only way, that means there's no other God. Amen. But he's the only way to the one true God. Maybe you'd sit here today and you'd say, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Well, does the Bible say that just belief or even, hey, I've professed it. I've professed it to others. I'm a Christian. Oh, I, I love Jesus. Is that what the Bible says? That all you have to do is make a good profession and just speak some nice things? Oh, I, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I love Jesus. Is that what the Bible says? I mean, even if we go back to Romans 10, 9 and 10, the Bible says, Paul writes, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so if you say, but I've said that, I, Pastor, and I believe and I, I've confessed that the Lord Jesus. Well, just, just take that for a moment. What does the word Lord mean again? Master, ruler, one to whom somebody belongs. Are you going to his word and listening to the things that he's telling you to do and obeying them? Jesus cannot just be a profession. He can't just be a belief. He has to be your Lord, Amen. not just your Savior. So if you profess to know Christ, the word Christian means follower of Christ. I would ask you, do you really follow Christ? Because I can tell you, if you just have a good belief in Jesus, and you just you even you even would would you know say his name if somebody asked you and you profess it, then that's not Christianity. Christianity is someone that looks in God's Word and looks at Jesus and examines his life and then says, "I want to follow this person, not just have a belief in him." So. Anybody that may be listening really loves Christ and you do worship him as such with your life and your lifestyle. This is what God wants. This is the type of saving faith that God wants us to have. Not just the knowledge in your head, folks. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, God wants to be more than just in your mind. He wants to be in your heart he is your master. Yeah. He is someone that impacts your life. When a single person gets married, they no longer live a single life. They live a married life. If you're married to Jesus, then your relationship with Him is changing your life like a marriage would when you get married, you no longer live a single life now. You live a married lifestyle. And if that's you, I exhort you by the immortal, immortal words of Paul. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, Christian, follower of Christ, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, 
with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And going above and beyond that. Remember, people only talk about what is important to them. Be open with your relationship about Jesus Christ. Be open about it. Don't hide it. Remember Jesus, chapter 10. Those that profess me before men, I will profess before God and the holy angels. But those that deny me, I will not. And if you're a Christian and you're shy about sharing your faith, I have a question for you. Is Jesus a disease? Are you afraid that if you talk to somebody about Jesus, that they're going to get sick or they're going to get diseased because of what you said? Think about that and hear that. We need to be open about what's important to us. And if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we need to be open with others and talking to others about Christ. If the 12 disciples, 11 after Judas, would have never said anything to anybody about their relationship and their walk with Jesus Christ, we wouldn't have an opportunity today to know Him because we only know Him by the chance that they took of rejection, of telling other people and Ten out of the eleven that still lived all lost their lives in brutal ways to tell people about Jesus Christ. Do you love Him? If you love Him, you need to tell other people about Him. And, Christian, don't forget to confess Him and His abilities to heal and save because God is able to do anything. And He wants the power of our words to confess what is godly, what is holy, and what is salvation? He wants us to confess those things before mankind. Remember, there's power in His name to save, and there's power in His name to heal. And there's power in His name to be made whole. There's power in your words to confess that name and to confess all that God is and who Jesus Christ is. I exhort anyone that's listening, please be proud to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Be proud of who God is to you. Be proud unless he's a disease. And if he's a disease and you're scared to talk about him, I would ask you to question where your relationship really is with God even at all. I exhort everybody, please seek him every day of your life. Come to Christ, anybody and everybody, all comers, everybody's welcome. And surrender to Him daily. And let Him be your Lord. And decide to follow Jesus. Not one day, not two days, not three days, but now and forever on. Now and forever on. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You so much for Your love. Thank You so much for the power, Lord God, that's in Your name. Thank You so much for the Holy Scriptures, Lord God, that teach us so much about You your love for us, who you really are, God in heaven, who you really are, Jesus Christ, your God, God wrapped in flesh, 
to take the sins of mankind and nail them to the cross so that all who would surrender to you could be born again and could be saved and have an eternity in heaven forever. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you did for us. Thank you for all that you put up with for us. Because you put up with so much just to know us. You did so much just to be with us. You did so much to show us that you loved us. You didn't just say you loved us, Lord. You did so much to show us that you love us. For after all, love is a verb. Love is not a word. Love is a verb, Lord. We show you that we love you by our devotion unto you, by our actions to you, by us spending time with you, by us professing others that you're in our lives, Lord God. I pray that you would strengthen anybody out there that's listening that is yours to walk worthy of that calling which they were called, to get out there, to be bold about Jesus Christ wherever and wherever, whenever you want them to, wherever they go, to be a light shining out a hill, Lord. Deep in their walks with you, Lord, I pray they wouldn't be ashamed of you like you're a disease. And Lord God, I pray for the Hindu, for the Muslim, for the deist, for anybody that maybe just so happened to catch this this. This Bible, this 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 sermon, Lord God, because there's no coincidences, Lord. I believe you're talking to them right now, Lord God, and I pray that you would show them how could it be that just a man, that just a prophet could receive worship? How could that be? Could could Jesus, the, the, the most awesome moral teacher of all mankind, all history, could he be a liar? Could Jesus, the one that loves so much that even lost his life, and history shows us that on a cross, even if he wasn't God, could just a guy that did, would he, why would he do that? Well, he said, Lord, that he did it for people. Why would anybody die for anybody else with no gain? Unless he did it to gain us, Lord. And that's exactly what he did, Lord. He did it to gain us. I pray you'd open your heart to the truth and turn to Christ today. Like God, I pray you'd turn their heart to Christ right now, dear God. Turn their heart to Christ. Draw all men to yourself, Lord Jesus Christ, and use this sermon in an awesome way to reveal yourself to others. May you be blessed by our lives today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today as one life will soon be passed and only what is done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry or contact us for prayer or for any reason at all, please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.